Worship can be dismissed at this time. Hey, Cecilia. Uh, and as we're, we're transitioning, I invite you to open your Bibles, uh, or of course look there in your, your pew Bible, or your, uh, your bulletin, excuse me, uh, to Luke chapter 13, uh, verses 31 through 35. Um, as, we, as we get going, just a reminder, uh, anyone who is maybe visiting or uh, hasn't been here in a while, uh, we're, you're finding us almost in the exact middle of the Gospel of Luke. We're going through uh, Luke uh, all, verse by verse, almost passage by passage, and, and we're, we're being reminded that Luke wrote this uh, in order that we may be certain of the truth claims of Jesus. And, and so as we're, we're going through this, we're, we're being reminded and asked once again, who is Jesus? What is his mission? What is his heart? Uh, what is he about? And so that's what we're going to see this morning in a very unique way. Uh, do y'all know how over time, you know, cities or places uh, can be known for uh, an event that took place there or maybe a landmark that's, that's found in that place? And we may not <laughs> know much about that place, but we know what it's infamous for, you know. Uh, like, what's, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of New Orleans? Um, family friendly said no one ever, right? It's, it's a family friendly city. Um, it, it probably is uh, in various places. No, it's, it's Mardi Gras, right? It's Bourbon Street. It's, oh, it, you know, it's hard to think of Boston without thinking of what? Um, yeah, yes, 1773, right? A group of colonists went out in the harbor and thought it'd be a good idea to dump a lot of really good tea uh, out into the ocean. Uh, famously dubbed the Boston Tea Party. You know, Chicago, uh, Chicago was a world-class city, uh, and it, is, it has tons to, that it should be known for, and yet, what's the most common word association with Chicago, aside from gangsters? Um, in the Windy City, yeah, it's, it's the fire, right? Um, that pesky cow, at least as legend has it, right? Uh, Mrs. O'Leary's cow knocked over a lantern, uh, burned the city, and the rest is history. You know, cities are known for like wonderful things like the Eiffel Tower, uh, the, the pyramids of Cairo slash Giza. But places can also be known or become known for not so great things, right? And, and look, we all know beautiful places and beautiful people, wonderful people in Tallahatchie County. And, and yet, what is Tallahatchie County known for to the rest of the world, or at least the rest of America? You know, what's the association there? It's, it's Emmett Till, right? That's what Tallahatchie County is known for. And so I grew up in a, uh, going to school in this really small town called Carrollton, Alabama. It's one of those sleepy small towns, kind of like Carrollton, Mississippi, uh, coincidentally, where it's, it's a courthouse square. It's courthouse is in the center of town. And uh, yet it's, it's known statewide for an event that happened in a particular grisly time in Americans past. Uh, Henry Mills uh, allegedly was accused of, I'm sorry, Henry, Henry Mills, Henry Wells uh, was accused of burning down the original courthouse in Carrollton, old, old courthouse. And so it took them 14 months to, to find Henry Wells and then arrest him. Uh, it was long enough for them to build a new courthouse. And so without a jail in town, they locked him away in the top floor of the courthouse. Well, on January 29th, 1878, this is the new courthouse, is 1878 in my hometown. 
1878, a mob of locals gathered outside the courthouse calling for the public hanging of Henry Wells. Well, Wells was, you know, he's in the top floor watching out the window as his mobs gathered calling for his death. And a, a, a thunderstorm came up, and this violent thunderstorm scattered the mob, but not before a bolt of lightning struck right near the window that he was looking out, permanently etching his terrified expression in the window pane. It's, it's a thing called lightning etching. It happens uh, occasionally. And yet here we are in 2023, and you can still go to that courthouse, and you can see an outline of his face etched in that window pane, uh, and people come from all over the at least not the world, maybe the county, to look at this, this old window pane, right? Uh, from bombs in Belfast to, uh, you know, the wall in Berlin, it's easy for cities to gain these, these stigmas, right? Okay, well, in our passage we're about to read, Jesus tells us that Jerusalem was also notoriously known for something back during his time. Yes, it was the center of the, the then the religious world, but it was infamously known for being the place where prophets were killed, where the messengers of God were stoned to death. And so this morning, as we remember, as Jesus is walking towards Jerusalem, the very place that, spoiler alert, he, he will be killed, um, but he's walking knowing that this is the place that kills prophets. And as he's walking, it's really important for us to see some things uh, that he wants us to see. And so with that, this is God's word, Luke 13, 31 through 35. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus said to them, Go tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is God's inspired, uh, inerrant word. Let's pray. Father, as we, as we come to this time to just sit and ponder uh, your word, we ask that your spirit would come and, and give us eyes to see and uh, ears to hear. Lord, give us attention spans just to hang in there. Uh, Lord, teach us wonderful things from your law. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen. amen. Hey, so three, three takeaways this morning. First, uh, Jesus wants us to see his mission, his, his purpose. We see his, his mission, same, same point. You know, some Pharisees came up to Jesus and they said, look, Jesus, you've got to get out of here because this is Herod's territory. And as long as you are ministering within Herod's territory, Herod wants you dead. And, and a lot of debate happens, has happened over this because you wonder, is, is this group of Pharisees genuinely wanting to help Jesus? Or are they trying to get Jesus to leave Galilee out of Herod's territory and to flee south to Judea so that he would be in the jurisdiction of the Sanhedrin? 
which means the Pharisees at that point could deal with Jesus the way they want to deal with Jesus. And if that's the case, Jesus would jump, be jumping out of the frying pan of Herod and into the fire that is the Sanhedrin. And we'll talk about the Pharisees in our, our second takeaway. But whether this was a help or this was a threat, Jesus wasn't phased. Don't you love people that like get a death threat, like a legit death threat? And they're like, whatever. They just keep going. Uh, don't you love people with a goal, with a mission? Um, I, I love getting in the car with somebody and we're driving somewhere no one's ever been to and they know where they're going. You don't, you don't have to worry about it. You're going to get there. Uh, it's Frodo and Sam, right? Getting that ring to Mordor, come hell or high water. Well, in the face, in the face of death threats, Jesus wasn't faced. But actually, he used this as an opportunity to remind us of just how committed he is to the mission. I, I don't know about, I don't know what this says, says about me, but I love that what Jesus said to Herod. He said, you tell that fox. I love that. You know, just a few decades ago, calling someone foxy, at least around here, uh, was kind of a compliment, right? It, it meant that they were attractive, handsome, maybe. Um, or you may, you know, some of y'all may say someone is, there, you're sly as a fox. And it's kind of a backhanded compliment, a playful way of saying, you got to watch out for that person because they are sneaky smart, right? That person is sneaky smart. Okay. In Jesus' day, to call someone a fox wasn't to call them attractive uh, or to call them sneaky smart. I know in Jesus' day and culture, to call someone a fox was an expression of utter contempt. Because foxes, though very crafty, their craftiness was always up to no good. No good. I mean, just think about Song of Solomon, that book of the Bible. If you remember, if you've read through it recently, you'll see that the author is he's in the middle of this romantic, tender, like beautiful poem of love. But then all of a sudden, just abruptly in the middle of this beautiful poem in uh, chapter 215, all of a sudden starts talking about a fox hunt, right? It's almost like the, the Delta love story, right? Um, let's go hunting. The author writes, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. And so these foxes in the vineyard were a, a metaphor, right, for all the things that can hinder and damage a marriage relationship. And so what we find, even from the ancient Hebrew culture, that healthy marriages are those who, <clears throat> excuse me, who regularly go on fox hunts in their marriages. You know, husband and wife regularly trying to get rid of those crafty yet good-for-nothing foxes in their, their marriage. <clears throat> Okay, Jesus is calling Herod crafty, he's very cunning, but good for nothing. Which means, I mean, Herod must have been a humdinger of an enemy of Jesus. Because think of all of his enemies, the Pharisees, the scribes, we think of, Herod, uh, we think of Judas, right? And, and yet, of all of his enemies, Herod is the only person in the entire Bible that Jesus is recorded as treating with contempt. In fact, later when Jesus stood before Herod, before his crucifixion, it's well noted that Jesus didn't say anything to him. You know, it's, it's as that, that old African-American spiritual puts it, he said not a mumbling word. So scholar Leon Mars said, when Jesus has nothing to say to a man, that man's position is hopeless indeed. And so we don't know, we don't know about the inworkings of Herod's heart. We know he has already at this point killed John the Baptist, 
Um, but we know that he is a dead man in every way. Well, Jesus said, you tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons, I perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Okay. All right, so this, this verse is a, is a good lesson on how to, how to read the Bible. Okay. Because we've got, uh, well, unlike the most ardent fundamentalists who say, look, you read the Bible, everything literally, uh, God actually, he calls us to a different approach, especially when the, the literal words of the Bible have a figurative meaning, right? So here Jesus obviously didn't mean that he was literally going to be done in three days. I mean, look, you, we're not even halfway through Luke yet, right? There's a lot more to go. Jesus was using a common idiom during the day, and here's what it meant. Essentially, he's saying, Herod, despite your attempts to shut me up, despite your attempts to intimidate me, I'm going to keep doing what I've been sent to do today, and I'm going to do it tomorrow, and I'm going to do it at my own pace, on my own schedule, until I am finished. No one is stopping me until I myself stop this mission to seek and save the lost. And when I stop, you will know the reason I have stopped is because I have completed my task. And so this week I was looking over my, my you, I don't know if anybody else has like an ever-growing to-do list. You know, it's like the, the list gets, you know, it, you add to the list faster than you can take away from the list. It's just overwhelming, right? I would bet that most of us have projects, uh, home improvement things, you know, things that we've, we've started. And it is like 10 years later and they're still not finished, right? Um, we're we're kind of like contractors, right? We, we just need a little more time and a little more money. So all we need. Um, no offense to the, to, to the few contractors we have here. Um, but we all need just a little more time, a little more money. We'll, we'll make it. Uh, this is huge. Here Jesus is telling Herod and he's telling us that Jesus never starts something that he doesn't totally finish. He doesn't put anything on his to-do list without like, check, it is done. His commitment to seeking and to saving you is total. We find that he who began a good work in you might bring it. What does it say? He says he, he will bring it to completion. And since that's the case, when, it, when from the cross Jesus said, it is finished, by golly, then we can know that it, it, he's not meaning it's just half done, right? It, it's not like one of those like close enough for government work type, type things. No, it's it's not even, you know, with contractors, it's not like, you know, you can kind of move into your house, but like the bathrooms don't work and kind of avoid certain rooms. We'll get there in a few months, right? No, he says, when he says it is finished, if you were in him, it means that your sin and your shame has been dealt with. That, that your greatest need, forgiveness from the Father, has been met, period. And then Jesus says something a little cheeky. He said, besides, you can't kill me here, Herod. Don't you know that Jeru Jerusalem has the monopoly on killing the prophets? Surely, i got to go there before I can die. It, it's tongue-in-cheek, and yet it's also part of the mission, right? Um, you know, if, if you want to really go to the center of the golf world, you go to St. Andrews, right? You go to Scotland. Like, that's the home of golf. Uh, the center of the financial world, right, is Wall Street, uh, when the same way Jerusalem was the epicenter of religious life in the ancient Near East. And so in order to be the once and for all sacrifice for sin, Jesus went to the place where sacrifices were made for sin. So this was his mission, his purpose, 
to completely save his people so that you wouldn't have to question it. He came to finish his task. Okay? But that's not all. Second, we see Jesus' heart. You know, at this point, we're well aware that the Pharisees are trying to get rid of Jesus. Like, they're trying to trap him. They're trying to catch him in a lie. They're, they're doing whatever they can to get him. And I don't know about you, but just think, think put yourself in Jesus' shoes. If an entire group of people not only rejected you, but they were actively seeking to take you down. I mean, for me, it'd be pretty hard for me to want anything to do with that group. Um, and yet, into our polarizing world where we're so tempted to silo off into our own little echo chambers. Notice what Jesus did. He, he shows us something different. Though hated by the Pharisees as a group, as a collective, you know, throughout, throughout the gospel, Jesus continued to pursue Pharisees. In fact, in the very next passage, he's eating with a Pharisee yet again. In fact, we know that some of the Pharisees ended up being Jesus' followers. You know, Paul was a, what, a, a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? Uh, we know that when Jesus died, this man named Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the Sanhedrin, came forward and he said, look, I, I can't do much at this point, but, but let me take Jesus' body down off the cross and let me bury him. Well, Alistair Begg put it this way. He said, Jesus is always hunting for the Josephs. He knows that though there are entire groups of people that reject him, that though that's the case, there are still individuals within those groups that he still seeks and he still calls to himself. And so this is, this is a call to really for us to kind of beware of just blanket rejections. God has his people. He has your brothers and sisters in Christ in the enemy camps as well. right? So don't silo off uh, and only care for your tribe, your clique. Be mindful of the Josephs out there. So what love, right? How easy would it be for Jesus? I'm done with the Pharisees. What love? But then look at verse 34. This is Jesus wearing his heart on his sleeve. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You know, when Hebrew people use repetition like that, it's, it, it showed heartbreak. And it showed real emotive longing. It's David crying out, Absalom, Absalom, my son. It's Jesus crying out, Simon, Simon. Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, yet I have prayed for you. Well, here Jesus looks. He looks at the hardness of the people's hearts in Jerusalem. He looks out over this whole city and he cries and laments. And he puts his heart out there. He says, Herod wants to kill me. You long to reject me. But how I long to have gathered in your children beneath my wings like a hen gathers her chicks. Okay. This is Jesus' heart, and this is his passion for the loss. And, and what's so great is Jesus didn't use preacher talk. You know, he, he didn't use, like, bring up all these, like, atonement theories. He didn't use, do a lecture on the, the definition of agape love. No, he just went to nature. You know, he went to something that we all see. We all get this. Uh, so this, this week, I, I saw a video of a mother goose uh, crossing a busy street with her, is it Gooslings, Goslings, Ryan Gosling? Her chicks, her babies, okay? 
And so, you know, she's walking, the little babies are following. She, she makes it across the street. All of her babies make it up across the street, jump up on the curb, except for one, the, the little runt. And so this, this man, we'll call him the Good Samaritan, right? He, stop, he, he stops the traffic. He, he stops his truck, and he, he goes over to help the little baby goose make it. Well, as you can imagine, Mama Goose did not like that one bit, right? That was her chick, and so the mother goose proceeded to lay that man out. I mean, just rolled him, just rolled him across the, the road. That was her chick, and uh, she took care of that man. And then she went over to her little one and, and got it up on the curb and gathered it in beneath her wings. And I'll tell you, I, I was watching that. I'm like fighting back tears. Uh, uh, like, what is it about that that we get? You know, Jesus is a master teacher giving us a picture that we all get on a, a visceral level, right? Like, like you can't see a mother hen protecting her chicks and not be moved unless there's something really wrong with you, right? Because it's showing us what we all long for, don't we? That we all long for someone, like someone who will fight for us. We long for someone who won't leave us behind, but we long for someone who will gather us in and say, look, look you're with me. And, and gather us under and hide us underneath their wings. And Jesus says, y'all, that is exactly what I came to do. Like far from being this like cardboard cutout of like no emotional man, like, like he came to gather you in and to call sinners the lost and the broken. He says, I've come to gather in little chicks who are scattered out in the open storms of life. And I've come to, to bring them, to, to bring you under my care. And so that's what it is to be in Christ. You know, in the midst of a fallen world, it's to be safe and sound under his care, no matter what happens around you. And that's the gospel. However, Jesus knows that though his offer is there, like I, I long to gather you in, some are still unwilling to come. You know, some, or as the Bible says, many are determined to stay on that broad way towards destruction and if that's you, then Jesus says your future, just like Jerusalem's future, will be one of desolation. And sure, I mean, you may live free and easy and howl on the hog for a while, but one day, on, on that day, all will be lost. And so Jesus has given us a little warning here. We're reminded that in 70 AD, the city of Jerusalem was laid to, to waste. The historian Josephus recorded, he said, the roofs, if you can imagine in the city, the roofs were thronged with famished women with babies in their arms. And alleys were filled with corpses of the elderly. Children and young people swollen from starvation roamed like phantoms through the marketplaces and collapsed whenever their doom overtook them. But there was no lamenting or crying because famine had strangled their emotions. He recorded that Jerusalem couldn't even bury all the bodies, so they just flung them over the wall. And, you know, that's just a fraction of the desolation that our souls, <laughs> that await our souls um, if we reject Christ. Which brings us to, the, of course, the classic question, right? And this is the one that Hebrews asks, how could we neglect such a great salvation, right? If, if as Paul writes, that God desires all people be saved, and Jesus is saying, oh, wow, how I've longed to gather you in under my wings. You know, then how can there still be those who just straight up 
reject. The straight up unwilling. All right. God's sovereignty and our responsibility in that is something that we, how those work together is something we'll never fully understand. How they both work together really is a mystery. And so I'm just going to borrow something that the famous Presbyterian theologian R.L. Dabney said. He said, Scripture and consciousness assure us that God executes his purpose as to a man acts, not against, but through and with man's own free will. In other words, he's saying that these people didn't say no because they were pre-programmed to say no. Uh, the Bible tells us that we, we can't blame God for our own unbelief. Right? If we reject God, we can't blame God for us rejecting God. If they and we say no, it's, it's because we are following our own defiant and rebellious hearts. If we don't come to Christ, it is not because he hasn't invited us. It's just because we will not come. And, and, and so I must ask, right, if you are not safe and sound under his wings today, he is still issuing his call to come. It's that famous hymn, Come Home, Sinner, Come Home. So this morning is an invitation for you to come. Come under those wings. Because in so doing, Jesus concludes by giving you a glimpse of th this is what your beautiful future looks like in him, under his wings. Which is our third takeaway and how we'll close our beautiful future. If you are in Christ, and only if you are in Christ, fear and judgment don't have the final say. You know, there, there's a difference between bowing to God because we think he's our savior and the best and then bowing to him at the end of time because like he's basically beat you into submission right jesus says you will not see me again until you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord and that little verse there that was an old testament benediction that's also what we find the people saying about jesus on that first palm sunday he's riding the donkey into town and that's what the people are saying but that's also what all of us who are in Christ will say when Jesus returns again at the end of history. So to paraphrase how the Jesus storybook ends, Sally Lord Jones, wrote, or Jones writes, On that day, God and his children will be together again. And there will be no more running away or hiding. No more crying or being lonely or afraid. No more sickness or cancer are dying because all those things will be gone forever. Jesus will make everything sad come untrue and wipe away every tear from every eye. And we won't be afraid when he comes again, but we'll say, let's go, let's go. We will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, let me pray for us. Father, thank you uh, for your word. Again, this reminder that, that one, Jesus, like, he has a mission to seek and to save the lost, to leave the 99 and to go find that lost sheep. And, and Lord, that is us apart from Christ. Uh, we are that prodigal that has wandered, and yet you, you gather us in. And not only do you like, want to do it, but like, you do it. It is completed. And Lord, thank you that we see your heart. Uh, that you're not just haphazard, that like you long 
to have us under your wings and you invite us in. So Lord, may we respond to that and those of us who are already under there remind us uh, of the immense blessing and joy uh, to be safe and sound uh, next to you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Our final hymn this morning is O 